Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. From the Schmoes No Network Studios in Los Angeles, California, it's time for Profiles with your hosts, Alicia Malone and Scott Mance. Yeah! Hello, Schmoville! Welcome to the very first episode of Profiles with Malone and Mance. I'm Malone, Alicia Malone. And I'm Mance, Scott Mance, Movie Mance. And we are so excited every week on Profiles we are going to be spotlighting our favorite filmmakers, the greatest filmmakers mm-hmm. of all time, by our choice, with a little help from you. And this is a show where every week we're going to have analysis, a little debate, some trivia, fun tidbits, mm-hmm. picking our favorite scenes, counting down our favorite movies by these filmmakers, actors, <laughs> and actresses. And we're going to have a special surprise in every show. I'm so excited. And we are starting with a bang with one of the best filmmakers in the world, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. Now, why of all people did we choose Spielberg? It was like you and I just looked at each other and just said, it's got to be Spielberg. (laughs) Yeah, we're often on the same wavelength, but we were definitely (laughs) on the same wavelength with this because Spielberg has made a ton of movies. So first, there's some great stuff to talk about. But I just love with Spielberg how there seems to be two of him. There's the fun adventure kind and then there's the harrowing war kind. But no matter which kind you get of Spielberg, he always transports you to another time and place. Absolutely, no question about it. And I feel like we grew up with Spielberg movies Mm -hmm. and definitely watching his evolution as a filmmaker, going from E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark, to The Color Purple, and Empire of the Sun, to Schindler's List and Munich. His his evolution as a filmmaker is just astounding. Mm. And to help us with our first segment, so we're trying to call all our segments by the titles of some very popular movies, some of our favorite movies. So the first segment is called... It's a Wonderful Life. And it takes a look at some of the personal life of Steven Spielberg. And to do this, we enlisted the dulcet tones of the pit boss. The so, Jete, you got that video ready? Let's roll it. Stephen Allen Spielberg was born on December 18, 1946, in Cincinnati, Ohio. He's one of the finest directors in motion picture history, and he's the most successful filmmaker of all time. The first movie he ever saw was The Greatest Show on Earth, which his father Arnold took him to see when he was just five years old. Eleven years later, he wrote and directed his first movie. What were you doing at 16? It was a 140-minute sci-fi flick called Firelight. It cost $500 to make, and it ended up with a profit of just $1. But undeterred, Spielberg plowed on. The films he's directed since have grossed more than $8.5 billion worldwide. And he has three Academy Awards sitting on his mantle. In 1991, he married Kate Capshaw, whom he had met while filming 1984's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. There are seven children in the Spielberg-Capshaw family. Spielberg is also the godfather of Drew Barrymore and Gwyneth Paltrow. 
Paltrow calls him Uncle Morty. Aww. Oh, that's sweet. I could listen to the Pit Boss all day. Pit and Boss rocks. He rocks. And, you know, he's on a great show called The Jedi, Jedi Alliance, Alliance, which is all about Star Wars. And on that show, they talk about their first time, their first experience with Star Wars. So we thought we would do something similar, but we're going to call it First Blood. Yeah, so the first Spielberg movie we ever saw. So mine was E.T. Now, I was too young to see it in cinemas, so I think I was about five or six or maybe even later. I can't remember the details, but all I remember is just feeling a sense of awe. It was so magical to me. The alien, I really related to Elliot and his story. And even now, I still get that same feeling as I did before. Absolutely. And you know what? Now that I think about it, the way she is now, you are like an Australian version of Drew Barrymore. Hey, I love Drew Barrymore, so I will take that. Yes, what was your comment. first Spielberg movie? My first Spielberg movie, which I saw in the theaters on November 16th, 1977, when it came out, <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <sighs> now, this was, what, five or six months after Star Wars? Yeah. So, 77 was a really good year for science fiction, but I just remember seeing it with my dad, so there's the nostalgia factor, there's the sentimental factor, mm -hmm. but this was a movie that just had so many emotions that I still feel to this day, but that was the first. That was number one for me. Well, Jete is in the control room. He is... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Pushing all the buttons. And Jate, I know you love Spielberg as well, so can you tell us what was your first Spielberg movie? Yeah, the funny story about that is I remember having to call my mom to get permission to see Jaws 4. <laughs> Jaws 4? Yeah, it was like the first Jaws movie I ever saw. And I think it was rated R, so I had to get my parents' permission. Yeah. And it was so bad, but as a kid, I didn't really know. I kind of liked it. And then that's it, and I went back and I saw Jaws. Because uh. I, I saw the fourth one, I had to see the first one. And I absolutely loved it. I never yeah. swam after that, but I loved it. And I you're know. Like, That's how it should be. The yeah. first one. <laughs> yeah, you've got to see the first one much better than the fourth one. So, Schmoville, if you're listening out there, make sure you tweet us at Alicia Malone or at Movie Mance. Tell us what was your first Spielberg movie, your first blood. But now, Mance, should we kick off our special segment? Special segment, which we like to call. Fast Five, Five, which, okay, we know isn't such a great movie, it's but it's classic. just a title to sum up our five favorite Spielberg movies. We'll be counting them down from five to one throughout this show. So the first one we're starting with at number five, Jete, play the song. Oh, I Have love those that. five notes. You got to do it with the hand too. Do, 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 do. I still haven't learned that. We're talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Now, Scott, I know this is your favorite Spielberg film you're representing here representing today. Representing here with the t-shirt, which I actually got at Devil's Tower in Wyoming. Yes. Made the pilgrimage last year, last April. And I got to tell you, because this was my first Spielberg movie, it is my favorite Spielberg movie. Mm -hmm. It encompasses so many emotions. It's intense, suspenseful. It is terrifying. The scene where Barry is abducted Barry. by the aliens. Barry! 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 
yeah, and then and then Melinda Dillon is chasing after him. But there's also a lot of humor. There's a lot of heart. And this is a movie that is sublime. It is yes. a beautiful film. I just rewatched this the other night, and I still love it, even though some of the effects doesn't look as good these days as it did. But it's the story that keeps you there. It's got so many iconic moments. The mashed potato, the mashed those potatoes. five notes that we heard before. And, you know, this is one of two movies that Spielberg has sole writing credit on. Now, he worked with a lot of writers and it went through a lot of different title changes. It was in project, it was in pre-production for years since the early 70s, finally came out in 77 as Close Encounters. And the thing that I love about this was it was one of the first sci-fi films, the first alien films, to actually show the aliens to be peace-loving beings and not warmongers. The scene with the conversation oh, with the music is brilliant. so brilliant. It's just so brilliant. I just love the way Close Encounters depicted First Contact as intelligent, as beautiful. We yes. come in peace. We are not alone. Up to that point, most alien movies were like War of the Worlds. Yeah, terrifying right to the end. But Absolutely. this one has such a sweet message. Although Spielberg says... If he made the movie today, he would change the ending. He would have changed it. It's a good thing he'd made it when he did, because the fact that Roy Neary went off on the I alien like ship, I loved it. And this movie was nominated for nine Oscars. It won two, obviously, for sound effects and editing. And uh, he was nominated for Best Director back in 77 for this movie. Well, I remember distinctly the poster from Close Encounters, the mountain and the mothership. Right and behind it. Spielberg does really great movie posters. So you and I, we've picked our top three. And once again, we enlisted the voice. The pit boss the himself. Pit boss. Take it away, Jate. What's a great movie without a great movie poster? Spielberg has loads to choose from, starting with Raiders of the Lost Ark. How's this for a pedigree? The poster proclaims it's from the creators of Jaws and Star Wars. But that face and the fedora sealed the deal. A grizzled Harrison Ford is one of the greatest movie heroes of all time. Trust him. How about this bold, beautiful one-sheet for E.T.? No images of the alien or Elliot. No spoilers here. Just this poetic connection inspired by Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam. But Spielberg's best poster belongs to his first big hit. Look at the size of that thing. That shark. Those teeth. Jaws. Terrifying book. Terrifying movie. And just as important, terrifying poster. And this is a terrifying face. This is we me. We like to call it... Jawsing! Maud ah, Garrett from Jedi Alliance does that really well. Before we move on to our next film, I wanted to read something out from Schmoville. We asked Schmoville about their favourite Spielberg movies, and Rachel J. Cushing says, Though E.T. is usually the alien movie that people proclaim their love for, I've always adored Close Encounters. I must have seen at least parts of it when I was really little because I have a very distinct memory of Roy Neary playing with his mashed potatoes. Yeah. When I got older, I came to really appreciate the message the music, those five notes, and the fact that Francois Truffaut is in it. That is very cool that Francois Truffaut was in the movie. Can you imagine Francois Truffaut taking direction from Steven Spielberg? I can't. That must have That's been a amazing. sight. Well, Darren Docterman, resident from Schmoville, had this to say about Close Encounters. This gets very intense, so I'm going to adopt the William Shatner method in saying this. Okay. It's not about UFOs. It's about the process of making the decision to lead a creative life and listening to the little voice inside. 
of you. All the people who were called had this creative spark and they journeyed to a faraway place facing dangers both false and real and the ones who made it succeeded in reaching enlightenment. Uh -huh, Though so they good. were thought of as crazies, that is why I love this film because it is my story too. Thank you, Darren Doctorman. Well, a lot of people on Schmoville were saying that Jurassic Park is actually their favorite, which didn't make our Fast Five. Rokan says... I feel like it was made for my generation because I was born in 94 and I grew up the VHS tapes of the first and lost world all around the house. <laughs> and just today I bought the Blu-ray trilogy set. We wanted to give a bit of a shout out to Jurassic Park in our segment, which we're calling... We're calling... The Right the Stuff. The Right Stuff. It's our favourite scenes from any Spielberg movies. Mine comes from Jurassic Park. Scott, it is the moment when the water ripples in Great the car. Scene. Great scene. Because similar to Jaws, which is my personal favourite Spielberg mm. movie, what you don't see is often scarier than what you do. It had great special effects, great CGI in that movie, but for me, that was the scariest moment because you saw the water ripple and you knew something huge was coming. You're like, this is not <laughs> this good. Is not gonna be this good. This is not good. But you remember when, when Jurassic Park came out that summer of 93? That was a groundbreaking film. Nothing like it had ever been done. Mm. And even though Terminator 2 Judgment Day sort of ushered in the CGI era, mm -hmm. it didn't really get off and off the ground like that until Jurassic Park came well, out. Well, do you know how they came up with that water ripple scene? No. Spielberg was in his car. He was listening to Earth, Wind and Fire, apparently really loudly. <laughs> his mirror started shaking and he thought that would be a really cool moment. So he rang up the production guys. He said, okay, I want the mirror to shake and then I want the water to ripple. The production guys were like, no worries. Then they had real trouble trying to make the water ripple in the exact way. They finally got around it by bringing out a guitar and playing it at a certain frequency, and that made the water ripple. And it probably burst a couple of eardrums in the process, oh, too. It created one of the most iconic moments in any Spielberg film. And I want to give you some more trivia now. Let's hear it. You ready for it? I'm here. I'm ready. So there are two things that often appear in a Spielberg movie. One is a tracking shot. One long shot with no cuts at all. Often you don't even notice it because it's so subtle. So subtle. The other is the Spielberg face of wonder, which is like, and if you're listening on iTunes, just imagine that we are looking Wide-eyed wide with wonder. With awe, and the camera is slowly coming towards slowly us. Slowly coming towards us at chest level so that the awe of wonder look is out above you. Yeah, so that appears in many of his movies. Well, Alicia, did you know, since we're going off on this Close Encounters, my favorite movie, wearing the shirt to prove it, mm -hmm. did you know the original title for Close Encounters was Watch the Skies. Yeah. And the words Watch the Skies were said twice in Close Encounters. One of them was by Daffy Duck. Oh yeah, that's Watch right. Watch the Skies. I remember that. Well, here's one more trivia for you Let's from me. Mm -hmm. Did you know that Spielberg has always wanted to make a James Bond movie? Ooh. And he pitched twice to make a James Bond movie. Both times he was told no by <laughs> Albert R. Broccoli. The first time was because he was really young. He was just starting out and Albert said, go away, make some movies, then come back to me. So Spielberg made Schindler's List. He went back to him and now Albert said, I can't afford you now, so, so too he, bad. If he went to Cubby Broccoli, his nickname, yep. and said, I want to do a Bond film, or they were talking about it, that means the Bond film that Spielberg would have directed would have been Goldeneye. Yeah, which means it would have been a much better a movie. better movie, definitely. Well, <laughs> did you know, did you know who the voice of E.T. is? Yeah, maybe. 
Uh, Tell me. It's Deborah Winker. Oh, that's right. Uh, and yeah, right? It's like you were thinking about, like, oh, wait, I know this. Yes. But of all people, when, because she wasn't credited, and then, like, the following year, she comes out with Turns of Endearment, which was, like, the ultimate weepy. Yeah. And then people found out that the voice of E.T. was Deborah Winker. Who knew? I think I remember hearing that she smoked a lot of cigarettes to get that voice uh, as well. she did. All right, let's go back to our Fast Five with our fourth favorite Spielberg movie. This one is a tough one. This one's a doozy. Schindler's List. This is Schindler's List. Ooh, just wow. hearing that music makes me sad. This is a tough movie to watch. It was a obviously also a tough movie to make. Released on December 17th, 1993, just six months after Jurassic Park came out. Very interesting that Spielberg will periodically do two movies a year. One, the popcorn movie that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. One, the serious movie. It happened again in 2005. That summer, he did War of the Worlds. And then five months later, Munich. But listen, no one expected Schindler's List to come out of Steven Spielberg. He had done serious movies before, like The Color Purple, yeah. like uh, Empire of the Sun. Mm-hmm. But with Schindler's List, Spielberg really topped himself with a powerful, unflinching movie, disturbing, upsetting. It was his first message movie, that message being, this can never happen again. Three hours, 14 minutes. Wow. Oh, mm. But it is still really interesting to watch. I feel like a lot of people don't want to watch it because of how harrowing it is, but I feel like it's a very important film. Obviously, as you said, a very personal film for Spielberg. He took no money None. from making this movie. He donated it all to a Jewish charity. The Shoah Foundation. Yeah, and originally Martin Scorsese was supposed to direct this. Oh, I could not imagine. When you see a movie like Schindler's List and you see how just perfect it came out, yeah. you can't imagine another film doing it the black and white and the handheld camera he wanted to create this whole documentary feel feels like it he said that it was really hard for him to work on and i heard that robin williams used to call him to give him a bit of humor lighten the mood a little well another thing he did to lighten the mood <laughs> at the end of the day he would watch he would watch reruns are you ready for this yeah of seinfeld oh my gosh <laughs> isn't that crazy and then seinfeld referenced schindler's list yes, in one did. of their episodes so it all comes full circle but those moments like the the little girl in the red coat, the, sim- red coat. the symbolism in that movie is And just incredible. The, the, the Jews being just taken out of their homes yeah. and their belongings taken oh, away. that scene with Ray Fiennes. Seven Oscars oh, it won, including Best Picture and Best Director. Was and shot in so. 75 days wow. for a budget of $23 million. Spielberg took nothing. Amazing. And to this day, whenever people come up to Spielberg with memorabilia from Schindler's List, whether it's a DVD or a movie poster, he will not sign it. Really? Yep. He's just like, listen... This is a very personal film, and you just got to just watch the movie, and that is it. Well, Schmovel also agree with us that Schindler's List is one of the best movies Spielberg has made. Cody Bradley says the standout is Ray Fiennes, one of the greatest villains of all time. And I love Spielberg's justification for Goth being almost one-dimensional. There is no understanding that kind of evil. Just a lot of depth, a battle that's raging between them without either one letting the other know what he's thinking. Really. I gotta say though that Ray Fiennes to this day still a little scared of him. After that and Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. He's like, really scary. Watching Grand Budapest Hotel, great movie by the way. <laughs> yeah. I was like, 
That's the guy from Schiller's List. Exactly. Well, Matt Wright from Schmoville had this to say about Schindler's List. It's a brilliant, it's brilliant filmmaking. There is not one aspect that still doesn't hold up to this day. May not have had been innovative in forwarding cinema like Indiana Jones or E.T. with its effects, but it did show that people will go see a black and white movie. Mm-hmm. This film seems to have been forgotten in the later years. Ironic since the story should not be be forgotten spielberg makes unforgettable movies and uh you know what should we should we try our special guest let's now? try our special guest now okay Chatea, shall we let's try and see if we can get her on the phone okay. and we will reveal who we're not going to reveal who it is okay. yet wait for it wait for it do you want to answer yeah. hello hello is this d wallace it is. Yay! Yay! You are on the How line. Are you guys? Oh, we Good. are so happy to be talking with you. You're on. You're on with Alicia Malone. Hi. How are you? And Scott Nitz. Oh, we're so happy to be here to, to be talking to you. Oh. This is our first episode of Profiles. We are spotlighting the man himself, Steven Spielberg, and of course, you made definitely one of his best movies ever, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. And we're so happy to be what talking to you about this. one of the best movies? <laughs> it is the best movie, in my opinion. Absolutely. Even though is. I love Jaws. <laughs> but let's go back to the beginning, because I'm really intrigued how you were cast in this movie, because I read that Spielberg said he saw a childlike quality in you. Is that true? That is true, actually. <laughs> he called me originally to come in and audition for a film called Used Cars, that he did before E.T., mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, Stephen, he's always thinking ahead, always looking years ahead, and um, he, you know, knew he was going to do E.T., and I think he kind of saved me, because uh, I do have that kind of vulnerable quality, you yeah. know, Blake Edwards, when I did 10, said, I could stand you up and let you kill nine little old ladies, B, and they'd say it was something your mom did to you when you were little. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's all true. Well, tell us about the first time you met Steven Spielberg. What was your first impression of him, and how did that evolve over the course of filming E.T.? Well, the first time I, I met Steven was when I went in to audition for Used Cars. Uh, was in some tiny little office building. I think he just probably was using a room or something in um, around Universal Studios somewhere. And I just thought he was a really nice guy, you know, uh, very approachable, kind of down to earth. And yeah, I liked him. And I didn't, I didn't see him again till I got an invitation to go to Raiders of the Lost Ark, wow. <laughs> and um, and then got the offer for uh, ET. Wow! wow. So well, you know, I mean, he, I, I was in his um, consciousness, you know, more than I. He was in mine, but because he knew that there were some plans of such that I wasn't privy to, so. Well, that's one of the things that impresses me about Spielberg is because he juggles so many things at once. I mean, E.T. came right after Raiders of Lost Ark, which he mentioned, and he was also producing Poltergeist at the time. Have you been able to figure out how he manages to juggle so many things at the one time? Probably the same way I do. Yeah. <laughs> Time yeah. management. He, he, you know, people like us that do that, we have to love everything we do. And you're driven by the passion of your love and appreciation 
for everything, you know, that you're involved in. As you know, I've just came out with two more books and yeah. have this whole healing world that I do. I'm, I'm um, um, not only recurring on his new series, but also on Grimm. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's a busy time, and I think Stephen, on a grander scale, <laughs> you know, must experience what I do, which is getting up every morning and going, gosh, what do I get to create today? So well, cool. we definitely want to ask you about those shows coming up in just a couple minutes, but before we get to that, you know, I, I watched E.T. again for the first time in about 12 years because every time I see this movie, it brings me to tears and I mm-hmm. feel like a big baby, but <laughs> it, there's just something special about it. But what I really love about the film, among other things, is the sense of family, that the genuine sense of family that's depicted between you and Henry Thomas and Drew Barrymore and Robert McNaughton. How did you, how long into the film did you feel like you, you felt like a family? And, and 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 how does Spielberg just get such great performances out of these kids? Well, first of all, I think, um, not to sound coarse about it, but it's our job. It's our <laughs> job to look like a family. It's our job to bond quickly. Uh, I, I certainly have no problems working or bonding with kids. Uh, I'd rather work with kids sometimes than adults. They're much more available. <laughs> they come in with a lot less baggage. Um, I'm I'm working with a lot of children on on Stephen's new series, and um, but I think Stephen too, he just is a master at casting the right people in the right role. Absolutely. He he captures your quality. And he sees what quality really is the character and embodies the character. And, and when you do that, you really don't have that far to go in bringing the character to life if you cast people who are the character. And in my case, he wanted a mom who was distracted and vulnerable and sensitive. It was the first single mother portrayed on the big screen. Mm, no kidding. I didn't even and, think about that. Yeah. And so he he wanted someone that that people were were not going to judge, that they were going to accept, that they were going to love. And that was a real important quality, this childlike um, kind of, oh gosh, can you help me quality that I have. Yeah, and you're, you know? you're one of the only adults that you see the face of for the first part of the movie. Yeah, large part. And I heard that there's a, there was a cut scene where E.T. left some Reese's Pieces on your pillow because E.T. kind of had a crush on Mary. Is that true? Oh, yeah, that's true. Actually, there was a whole B storyline that went through the film about E.T. <laughs> e. uh, him watching me read Peter Pan was actually a part of um, of that whole uh, infatuation that he had with Mary. Of course, that scene played on its own beautifully in a different context. Mm. Well, 
one of the scenes that got to me watching the film again recently, like two days ago. Uh, crying on the plane. Crying this on one. the plane. That's a good story <laughs> I got coming up. But is the scene when when Mary goes into the closet and sees Elliot and E.T. and this is after they've gotten very sick and at first at first Mary is like laughing like hey wow that's really good and then the horror hits her of what is going on I mean you played that scene brilliantly D and I just was really well, blown great. away by that scene yes mm. fantastic but the question I have is how long into filming E.T. at what point did you realize wow we are on to something really special here you know uh Never oh. <laughs> and always. Never and always. That's my answer. I knew when I read the script that the script was special, that uh, I wanted to be a part of the message that this script took out into the world. But again, I defer to Blake Edwards, you know. He said, honey, if we knew what made a hit, we'd have a lot more of them. Oh, yeah. Good line. <laughs> uh, you, you can do special work in a special script and and have so many talented people involved. If it doesn't come out at the right time, or or the the atmosphere within the consciousness of the viewing public isn't ready for it, or it doesn't hit a note with them, it's not going to matter. It'll come out, it'll do big blockbuster for a week, and then it'll go away. It, there's so much about timing and editing and and trailers and how it's released and how it pulls you in it's just it's a collaborative art and when people forget that anything creative is a collaborative art whether it's from the collaboration of you and the creator to the collaboration of everybody on a set or during a play that's when everybody starts getting in trouble i think well, would you say that E.T. changed your life and do people still come up to you on the street and talk about it? Well, I would say it definitely changed my business life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. It opened up a lot of, oh, I think that's an important discernment for us to have. Mm -hmm. sure. Did it change who I was? No, D. Wallace is still Deanna Bowers from Kansas. <laughs> I, you know, I, I still like my upper middle class home in Woodland Hills. Uh, so it didn't change my integrity. It didn't change who I am in the core of me. But it certainly changed my opportunities in the business and, mm. and how well I was known, you know. And yes, every day people <laughs> will stop me at the store Unfortunately, with no makeup on, and I haven't taken a shower, and they'll hear my voice and go, "Oh my God, you're the mom for me too." Yay! Well, the, you know. Yeah. I'm just really curious. You're filming the movie. The movie opened on June 4th, 1982, which was an incredible month for for movies and science fiction. But then it it just didn't just become a hit. It became a phenomenon. I mean, the Reese's Pieces and the uh, Neil Diamond song, Heartlight, it became such a phenomenon. And at what point did you realize that you and, and Steven and your cast and, and Henry Thomas and everybody were just on the cusp of something that was just even bigger than anyone could have imagined? Oh, I think probably two or three weeks after the release. Wow. We knew it was going to have a lot of legs and, and all the press you know, wanted to interview all of us, and that was the buzz everybody was talking about. You know, you once the collective makes it a hit, 
you really get it. Wow. And everybody gets it. The whole world gets it because it shifts on an energetic level. Mm. And now... And I, I think it's such an amazing uh, film because it tells the truth. It's all about love and keeping your heart open and getting back to, you know, the home of you. And it's, it's our Wizard of Oz. Basically, I totally agree totally with that. Totally agree with that. Timeless and unforgettable. And before we let you go, we want to talk about the projects you're working on right now. You're working with Spielberg again on The Whisperers. What is it like to be back with him? Has he changed? Well, I haven't seen the dude yet. Oh, you haven't yet. <laughs> cool. I have not. I have not been there when he's been on set, and when I, you know, I they were shooting in Vancouver. So when I fly up, he's down here. So I'm looking forward to crossing paths again <laughs> yeah. uh, with him. So, yeah, I'll let you know. I'm sure he's great. I just saw him with Oprah doing his thing, you know, on their new film. Mm. So. Hunter Foot Journey. Well, well, tell us about your role on The Whispers and tell us a little bit about more, a little more about the show. Well, I can't tell you much other than it's... Uh, it's an intense drama. Okay, that's um, good. It you involves had me. <laughs> uh, children, and um, I play the grandmother of one of the beautiful kids on the show, and uh, Lily Rabe's mother. And um, yeah, you know, signed that whole contract thing, but it's it's a ride, and I can tell you there are many, many questions I have as the artist doing the role that I don't have answered yet. That's how close they're They're close it. to the vest. Wow. And you're also Alice uh -huh. on the TV series Grimm. Oh, my God. Well, I just, I'm hoping and praying that they have me back this season. I love that entire company. Uh, I love the producers and the writing and the role. And, um, you know, they're just starting back up again. And these days, it's very different, you know, when... When, back in the olden days, when I was coming up and you recurred on something, you actually were put under contract. Now they hire you as a guest star as you are needed. So you're kind of out there floundering a little bit, really going, am I going to work next week? Or uh, yeah. am I going to fly this week? <laughs> you know, it's a little disconcerting, but, uh, and... Uh, I just figure I'm I'm gonna go play with everybody, and the first man gets me. <laughs> Yay! Say yes to everything. I hope we see you again on that show, and thank you so much, Dee Wallace, for joining us. We, we really so appreciate thrilled. your time. Thank you so much. We thank are so you. thrilled for Thanks, saying guys. yes to Have us. Have a great one. Have Bye -bye. a great day. Thank you, Dee. Bye. Wow, that oh, was awesome. That's so good. That so I mean, awesome. when I saw E.T. for the first time, I would have never thought I'd ever get to speak with Dee Wallace, the mother. I love her yeah, so much. It's such a wonderful movie. We'll talk more about E.T. very, very shortly. But for right now, you know, we've been talking about movies that Steven Spielberg directed. Mm -hmm. But Steven Spielberg has an even bigger resume, bigger resume, if you can believe it, of movies that he has produced. All right. And what a great list of movies. We could be here for a whole other show Tonight, just we'll talking just about Just give it. us top five. Top five. Okay, let's just go right through it. <laughs> Coming in at number five on our list of best produced Steven Spielberg movies, Gremlins. Kim Natsock's favorite. 19, oh, is it really? No, he has no. never seen that movie. <laughs> oh, that's right. He hasn't seen Gremlins <laughs> yes, too either. But Gremlins came out in 84. What I love about this movie, it starts off like a distant cousin to 
E.T. Then it gets very dark. That is Joe Dante for you. Yeah. Coming out that same year is The Goonies. Yeah. Directed by Richard Donner. It's more of a cult. Mm-hmm. But you like The Goonies, it's right? It's an adventure film. It's I an love adventure. it. Yeah. You gotta love the sense of wonder. It feels very Spielbergian. Josh Brolin, yeah. Number three is a film that, well, just a lot of people don't even know that Spielberg to produce this movie. Yeah. It is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I didn't even know that. I mean, he produced it working with his protege, Robert Zemeckis. Mm-hmm. Worked with him a bunch of times. But this was a groundbreaking, trailblazing mix of live action and animation. I still want to be Jessica Rabbit. Uh, you could easily <laughs> I'm trying. be Jessica Rabbit. Only if I get to be Roger. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, a movie that Spielberg produced feels like... He- Feels an awful lot like he might have directed it. That's the rumor. And some say that he has directed it. Is Poltergeist came mm. out in 1984 on uh, so, sorry 1982 on June 4th 1982. You're the Rain Man of release dates. One week, by the way, before ET. This feels oh. like a Spielberg directed movie. Here, here. It's got the magic. They're here, and it's scary. But even the score by Jerry Goldsmith sounds like John Williams. Mm. And number one. Best Spielberg produced movie. It's got to be Back to the Future. <laughs> Great Scott. Yes. It's heavy. Well, that's a word again. Is there something wrong with the Earth's gravitational pull in the year 1985? <laughs> Love it. Love that movie. Such a great adventure. Well, that brings us to our next segment, which we like to call... Oh, yeah. Quiz show. So, you know on the Schmoes No Movie Show that we have the ultimate Schmodown, the <laughs> trivia contest. You know that I'm terrible at trivia, but we know that you guys love trivia. So, we decided we would be nice to each other. We're just going to ask one question each. Multiple choice. Multiple choice. So, it's We're not gonna... as stressful as the last time, but uh, let's see how we go. Jate, I believe you have the Jeopardy music. For... Oh, yes. Okay. All right, I'll go, go first. first. Okay. okay. Okay, Scott Matz. Yes, Alicia Malone. Which Spielberg film led to the creation of the PG-13 rating system? Is it Back to the Future or mm-hmm. Poltergeist mm-hmm. or Gremlins mm-hmm. or Twilight Zone the movie? I am going to go Yes. with, are you ready for this, Alicia Malone? Yes. I'm going to say Gremlins. Correct. Because that movie came out the same summer as another movie that also had a big, big role in the creation of the PG-13 rating. What was that? This was a movie that Spielberg directed, in addition to Gremlins, which he produced, Indiana Jones and the Temple of see, Doom. You always have the facts. Okay, Is let's that, see how I go. Come on, okay, my turn. My right. question for you, okay. Alicia Malone. <laughs> yes. You can tweet her at Alicia Malone. <laughs> which of the following actors, Alicia Malone, was not, I repeat, not originally considered for the role of Indiana Jones. Okay. Is it Jeff Bridges? Mm-hmm. Is it Sam Neill? Mm-hmm. Is it Jack Nicholson? Mm-hmm. Or is it, well, Tom Selleck? Okay, not considered. You're not saying. considered. Okay, so I definitely know that Tom Selleck yes. was considered. That was a given. <laughs> that was a given. I'm not sure about the others, so I'm just going to say one that I can never imagine playing Indiana Jones. Let's hear it. Jack Nicholson. She's right! Yay! She wins! Okay. okay! So I am only good if you give me multiple choice. That's what we have decided. But uh, Schmovel, if you have any questions for us you'd like us to answer, or if you want to meet us to give you maybe a quiz question, we might do that. We've got a brand new Facebook page. Yes, we do. Why don't you tell us about our Facebook page, it's Alicia? Profiles with Malone and Mance on the Schmoes No Network. Just rolls right off the tongue. Rolls and right make off sure the you tongue. give it a like. We'll be chatting to you about Spielberg, about next week's show. And also, if you are watching this right now on YouTube, 
on Schmoes No Podcast, make sure that you subscribe to the channel and uh, and also subscribe to iTunes. Subscribe to Profiles on iTunes. And ladies and gentlemen, this is really, really crucial. No matter where you are watching Profiles right now, whether you're listening to it, watching it, hearing it, we don't care. It is very important. Please go to the iTunes page mm-hmm. and rate us. Rate Profiles. Give us a little Give review. Give us comments. Give us reviews. We could take it. We could dish it, right? Yeah, that's we right. Hopefully, give us some nice reviews. But if you want to see us on the air, this is really important because this is the way that iTunes decides what's popular and what's not. And if we're popular, then we will continue. We get to come back next week. All right. So, are you ready to continue with Fast Five? Moving on with Fast Five. With coming in at number three. One of my favorite Spielberg films. Jeté, do you have the theme song? <gasps> That music. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Here's the shot. Here's Here comes the shot. Bruce. <laughs> it is Jaws. Now, Scott, this is one of my favorite Spielberg films because of the fear that it still gives me. Oh, yeah. As I said with Jurassic Park, similar to Hitchcock, it is what's unseen, what's lurking below the water is a lot scarier than what you do see. And like Psycho, it also made me go scared to go in the water. Yes. Psycho, I didn't want to go into the showers. Jaws, I didn't want to go into the water. Spielberg says that he still has nightmares about making Jaws because he was 27, he was in over his head. They were writing the script the night before they were shooting it. They had no idea if it was going to work or not. Bruce the mechanical shark kept failing and that's what led to that great point of view shot from the shark with the camera in the box and that makes the film so timeless and still scary because you don't see the shark. You don't see the shark and this was a ploy that even though it was an accident that this happened while making Jaws, it was a technique that worked very very well in other films like Alien, like Godzilla which came out this year. Yeah. They waited till the end to see the monster but this was a technique that well now, do you know why the shark's name was Bruce? No. It was the name of Spielberg's attorney. Oh, it's also the name of my dad. Oh, so then, well, yeah. there you go. <laughs> it also is the first ever summer blockbuster. Why is it called that? It is called a blockbuster because people would line around the block and they would keep wrapping around to the point where the block would break. Another thing about Jaws, this was the first movie ever to make more than $100 million at the box office. Wow. Topped out in its original release at $260 million. And a lot of people say, including Spielberg himself, that the fact that Bruce didn't work and you couldn't use, you couldn't see the shark, and it made it so much scarier. Mm-hmm. That added another $150 million to that box office. Well, because before Jaws, summer was really a dumping ground for the studios. It was where they put films that they didn't think anyone would watch. After Jaws, and now we see it, it is all the summer blockbusters. blockbusters. And now, actually, if you listen to the movie news, which you should catch up with on schmoesno.com every day, you'll know that summer is actually being extended, extended, extended. April, March. Now it's April because of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. But back in Jaws Day, that was a new thing to come out in summer. Schmoville also really loves Jaws. Joshua Willingham says, you practically go the whole movie without seeing the shark. The people are in its element. The humans are outmatched. It's the ultimate tale of survival to end an opposing threat. I love that. Well, Keith Richmond from Schmoville 
had this to say about Jaws. Jaws appeals to me on every level. It is rare to find a film that has equal parts scary, funny, exciting, and charming. The acting was amazing, and to this day, whenever this movie's on TV, I still have to watch it. And yes, I am still scared to swim in the ocean. Thank you, Harkness Keith Richmond. I actually went to college with this guy. Oh, did you? The truth. Yes. Well, don't go to Australia then, because Australia, everything will kill you, including the sharks. sharks. The Lots sharks, of sharks are very scary. In Australia. But that theme song, too. Has just become one of the most iconic and that's just one of many I and mean, we could just do a whole other show just on the collaboration between spielberg and john williams it's brilliant i really want to see john williams when he comes to the hollywood bowl oh that'll be fun it's at the end of the month yeah, yeah well spielberg has made so many movies that we want to give a shout out to some in a segment we're calling the, the good, good the, the bad and, and the, the ugly. ugly and what is this segment about so the good means the underrated movies the bad the overrated movies and the, the ugly, just plain awful. awful movies, which is hard to do with Spielberg. But what is what, your underrated movie? Okay, I'll kick it off. My underrated movie is Munich. Munich, I'm down with that. I really love the level of tension in this movie, and I also like how it shows that revenge doesn't solve any problems. The violence circle of violence. violence. And Eric Banner, if you grew up in Australia, you'd know him as a sketch comedy artist. What? Yeah, he used to have this character called Poiter. Like Peter with a really Australian accent, Peter, and he would do all this crazy stuff. And then you see him in Munich, and he is such a good dramatic actor. What's Never yours? would have paid him for a comedic actor, but my underrated film. I could have gone easily with Munich. I could go with Empire of the Sun, but I'm really going to go with a film that is truly underrated and misunderstood. AI, artificial intelligence. Yeah, came Kubrick. out in June of 2001. And this was sort of a collaboration with Steven Spielberg and the late, great Stanley Kubrick. What makes this movie so fascinating is if you know Spielberg's warm sensibility and you know Kubrick's cold sensibility, the movie does not walk a fine line between the two. It veers back and forth. It is an uneven, fascinating movie. And that is why that is my underrated. What about your overrated <laughs> okay. Alicia I feel really bad saying this but uh, it's War Horse oh I liked War Horse oh, I love horses and I know the story is great it comes from a play it's really well done I can see it's beautifully shot it's great cinematography a beautiful score but to me it's just really sappy and sentimental and melodramatic so I didn't like that well my overrated film I hate to say this <laughs> yeah this is a bad I one I really hate to say this but my overrated Spielberg movie is Lincoln yeah listen I, it just it just felt like a history lesson and the, the but the problem as a film that I had with it is it just felt too confined it felt like a play you never really saw what Lincoln was trying to stop until a year later when you saw 12 Years a Slave yeah 12 Years a Slave had come out the same year as Lincoln Lincoln probably would have had a better shot of winning Best Picture because they really wanted it to well that brings us to our awful yes our ugly and on three two one 1941. You know, it's it's actually not the worst movie I've ever seen, but for this film to have come out sandwiched in between Close Encounters and Raiders of the Lost Ark, it just pales in comparison to those movies. But that's okay. If you have a good, bad, ugly film about Steven Spielberg, you want to shoot us a tweet at Alicia Malone mm -hmm. and at Movie Mance, let us know what you think, or go on our fan page at the Profiles with Malone and Mance <laughs> on the Schmoes Network, Network, and let us know what you think 
the good, the bad, the ugly is for Steven Spielberg. Well, a lot of Schmovel was saying that their favorite Spielberg movie is Saving Private Ryan. Now, Cody Bradley says most war films make combat appealing, but Saving Private Ryan makes it terrifyingly real. In fact, it was the film that got me interested in movies. The experience from watching it for the first few times never left me. I agree. That is an incredible film. Well, uh, Jer Silvera says, Alicia, you have to mention Saving Private Ryan. Not only you and Mance have to talk about the film overall, but you both need to discuss the opening war scene that is beautifully shot in the beginning. Oh. Here, here on that. Yeah, that opening scene really puts you in that war and it just makes it horrifying. It is horrifying. And you know what? You could have just had those 25 minutes alone and had nothing after that. Saving Private Ryan still would have been a masterpiece movie. Now, I said before that my favorite scene from any Spielberg movie was from Jurassic Park. Now it's time for yours, for your right stuff. What is it? My right stuff, again, shocker, I always, it always comes back to Close Encounters. (laughs) My right stuff goes to the scene in Close Encounters when Roy Neary is at the railroad crossing and he has his first Close Encounter Yep. Of the first on. kind. So he's, the, what I love about the scene is the setup. Yeah. He's lost, he's driving around, comes to a stoplight, and he's looking at his map, and this car comes up behind him, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. The car goes past him and says, you're in the middle of the road, jackass. He goes, tell me where cornbread is, turkey. So he keeps driving down the road, comes to the railroad crossing. There's another light that comes up behind him. Looks identical. It looks identical, but it comes up really close, and he's like looking in the mirror like, yeah, go ahead. The light rises. The light rises and you're like, whoa. And then all of a sudden everything stops. The mailbox starts shaking. The light shines down on the truck. He's terrified. All hell breaks loose in the truck. Mm-hmm. And the, the railroad thing starts going back and forth. And then it all stops. And then and then Richard Wright is just is like looking, peering past peering past his windshield, and he sees the spacecraft. He sees the yep. UFO. And that's what he knows to go to devil's tower yay Yay! (laughs) well let's keep going with our fast five we're up to number two this also has a great theme song jate yeah raiders of the the lost Lost ark i love this movie just hearing that theme song brings back that sense of adventure jate i know that's one of your favorite movies too tell us why do you love raiders of the lost ark you know it's funny i love the first one but for some reason, like Temple of Doom is one that I always remember growing up. That's the one with the bridge yeah. and the, I mean, the, the whole bridge scene with the alligators. So that's one that sticks in my mind. But as I got older, you kind of realize the first one really is the best one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, Harrison Ford, he, well, I, he, everyone thinks he's Han Solo. For me, he's Indiana Jones. Yeah. I think you know, Temple of Doom is an underrated film. A lot of people thought it was a little too dark. Uh, but Raiders of the Lost Ark is just... The creation of one of the greatest movie heroes of all time. Mm-hmm. The movie opened on June 14th, 1981. And Spielberg and Lucas, George Lucas, his pal, and who also produced the movie and co-wrote the screenplay with Lawrence Kasdan, they were big fans of the movie serials of the 30s and the 40s. Yeah, and I hear that the story goes that the two were in Hawaii. Yep. Spielberg was having a vacation after Close Encounters, and Lucas was having a vacation to try to escape the madness of, of Star, Star Wars. Wars. Spielberg was telling Lucas how he really wanted to make a James Bond movie, Lucas said, I've got a character that is better than Bond, and it became Indiana Indiana Jones. Jones. It's amazing, too, because Indiana Jones, his weapon is not a gun. It's a whip. Yeah. 
And the other thing is about, about Raiders of the Lost Ark, and this is another thing I really love about the film, is that for the first time, and one of the only times in Harrison Ford's film career, he had an equal. Mm-hmm. A Marion Ravenwood, played by Karen Allen, was such a strong character. She was such yes, a strong character. Right, held right her female own character. with Harrison Ford in that movie. Yeah. His best female co-star, I think. And Schmoville also loved Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ryan Peters says it very simply and very well. <laughs> it's the perfect blend of action, romance, and humor. Absolutely agree with that. You can let us know what you think. Shoot us some Twitter responses Mm -hmm. to Alicia Malone or to me at Movie Mance. Let us know what you thought of Raiders of the Lost Ark as your favorite Spielberg movie. And boy, what a score. Again, with John Williams and the scores. Again, what a score. And Spielberg, he's so influential. I think there's a couple of filmmakers where you can definitely tell he's had his influence on. And he's also mentored a lot of filmmakers. So in a scene, in a segment we're calling Adaptation. Adaptation. We're going to run through some film makers that you might like to try or you might agree with us are very similar to Spielberg. So first up, let's talk about J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams. All you have to do is watch the movie Super 8. That is a love letter to Steven Spielberg. It didn't hurt that Spielberg actually produced the movie for J.J. Abrams. That movie is a cross between Close Encounters and E.T. and it really feels like it. It feels like just a a, a homage to Spielberg's movies. And But even if you watch J.J.'s other films, I mean, what he did, what Star Trek has some of Spielberg magic to it. Of course, a lot of the shows that J.J. Uh, Abrams has produced over the years. Yeah, he likes light too, like oh, Spielberg. The <laughs> likes the, the use flares. of light. Yes. Another filmmaker is one we mentioned before, Robert Zemeckis. Now, of course, Spielberg produced many of his movies and he was a mentor to him. And I think you can notice his influence with the sense of magic that Zemeckis puts to his movies. Definitely. And one of Spielberg's, Spielberg's first movie as a producer was also Zemeckis' first movie as a director. 1978, the movie was called I Want to hold your hand and full disclosure here folks i am obsessed with the beatles and i have to tell you this about i want to hold your hand it is about these kids who try to break into the ed sullivan show to watch the beatles during their first u.s visit and it is funny it is charming totally irresistible you gotta go see i want to hold your hand all right i'll trust you on that one uh peter jackson is our third filmmaker that we chose of course peter and Stephen worked together on the adventures of of Tintin. tintin spielberg was a big fan of peter jackson peter jackson also was a big fan of spielberg you can see that influence with the monster movies and the sense of adventure and also i love this quote from spielberg in an interview he says i sponsored robert zemeckis and he sponsored peter jackson with the frighteners we all had a hand in pulling each other up in life which i think is so sweet that is very awesome by the way remember comic-con a couple years ago when they were doing the press line for tintin we got to interview together you and i got to interview steven spielberg and peter jackson i gotta tell you i've done so many interviews over the years with access hollywood i know you've done tons of interviews with every single outlet you've worked with and that is a lot ladies and gentlemen this woman is the hardest working woman in show business kid you not but talking to steven spielberg and peter jackson together i was a little nervous totally starstruck in awe and felt like a little kid it was awesome well we are quickly running out of time there's just so much to talk about when it comes to spielberg so we just want to quickly mention our fast five number one movie our favorite movie of steven spielberg is one we were talking about before et et oh just bring back those that music brings back the memories i love the way 
This film is shot from kid height. It really puts you in the mind of Elliot. It reminds you of childhood, how frustrating it was when no one would listen to you, no one would believe you. Coming from the single mother home, like she right. said, you know, this very, very relatable story. Some scary moments, but some really touching ones, and I love E.T. Uh, you know, for Dee Wallace to call E.T. the Wizard of Oz of its day, right on the money. This is a fairy tale. It's timeless. I love the relationship between Elliot and E.T. They are both have this childlike sensibility. There's so many sentimental, intimate, genuinely moving film, moving moments during this movie. Mm. And I got to tell you, I saw the movie five times in the summer of 1982 when it came out. Yeah. And every time I cried, stepped away from it for 20 years, didn't watch it again until the re-release in 2002. I figured, I'm a grown man. I can handle E.T. now. Bring it on. Watching the film, I got so emotional that I was crying and I was wiping my eyes and I, my eye, my contact lens came right off. <laughs> then just two days ago, watched it again. I'm thinking, okay, I'm I'm a I'm over 40 now. I can handle ET. Sitting on an airplane, watching ET, crying my eyes out. Gosh. And the woman next to me is like, are you okay? And I'm like, there's something in my eye. <laughs> it's got such a great script by Melissa Matheson. Great performances. That first started my love with Spielberg and my love with Drew Barrymore. Now we're getting the wind up, we're unfortunately. So our first, we, profiles. Oh, our first profiles is done. I feel like Spielberg, we could go for the full Lincoln. We could go for the full Schindler's List time. Yeah, we we could. could talk for three hours about Spielberg, but unfortunately we have to go from we the studio because other people coming in. So some points to mention before we go. Make sure you subscribe to this YouTube channel, Schmozno Podcast, and subscribe to iTunes. Give us a rating and review. Don't forget to visit schmozno.com every day for the latest movie news. Before we go, Scott, let's announce who we'll be talking about next week, should they? Theme? Oh, that's all you've got to hear. Our next profiles, we're going big, we're going bold. We are going with the late, great Stanley Kubrick. I cannot wait for that. So make sure you like our Facebook page because we'll be talking to you about your favorite Kubrick movies. So it's time to go. We did it. We Mr. did Mance. it. First did episode it. of Profiles with Malone and Mance Woo. in the can. We did it. We got this down. Can't wait to come back next time. Talk Stanley Kubrick and the yes. time after that, the time after that. And hey, you know what? If you have any filmmakers that you love, that you would love for us to talk about, mm -hmm. please go to our, our fan page on Facebook and please tweet us at Alicia Malone and Movie Mance and let us know your favorite filmmakers because we might just use them on our show. Until next time, Schmoville, we'll, we'll be, be right, right here. <laughs>